Hello there. Welcome to another cross-country ski race report. Of course, we are still here for sports, and I am still your host and producer, Elizabeth Emery, but these race reports are special. Thanks to the wonderful folks at U.S. Ski and Snowboard, Here Her Sports is following the cross-country ski World Cup racing season and reporting back to you through these conversations with the U.S. female ski racers, and in this case, with one of the female coaches. Today, I am lucky enough to be talking to Coach Kristen Bourne about the racing in Gome, Switzerland. Kristen's official title is U.S. Cross-Country D-Team World Cup Coach. However, she is involved in all things once the racing gets going in Europe. I've seen her in the coverage, handing poles to athletes, cheering, and testing skis. And I'm sure she's doing much more than that. She coaches Julia Kern and Gus Schumacher, two of the high-level athletes on the U.S. team. To set things up a bit, the World Cup in Gomes was January 26th to 28th, so a couple weeks back. Kristen was not physically there with the team. She had already gone to Canmore, Canada, I presume to set things up for when the team arrived, which they did shortly after Gomes. Racing in Canmore had already started when I spoke to Kristen, so she does tell us a little bit about that and about the anticipation and some nerves for the long-awaited World Cup in Minneapolis. Kristen is a vocal supporter and advocate for women coaches. I ask her about the current impact of the Trail to Gold Fellowship, which she first told me about exactly a year ago when she was on Hear Her Sports in episode 142. Listen to that one for more details about the Fellowship for Women Coaches and about the coveted race course bibs. In today's show, we get to learn some specifics about Gomes, a new World Cup venue. There was some very firm snow on a very difficult course, sunny weather, which changes everything, and technical turns. We also talk about general vibes for Canmore and Minneapolis, because for the U.S. racers, it's really different to experience the level of energy and fandom they'll find on home soil. I always love talking to Kristen. She is such a smart and thinking coach, in tune with her athletes and the sport, and also she provides a different view for us, a broader perspective than what the racers see and have shared with us. Well, onward, let's say hello to Kristen. Well, hi, Kristen. It is so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm really excited. I I love your podcast and I've listened to to several episodes, especially since you've been covering all of the races from the season and having athletes from the team recap their experiences. Um, I frequently get to talk to the athletes after after their races and hear their thoughts, but it's also fun to hear their perspective on it and how it might evolve a little bit after you know some time to think about it and and maybe rewatch the races and stuff. So it's been cool to to listen to those recaps. Well, it's been super fun for me. I hope that listeners are enjoying it as well. I have been getting good feedback, so thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. Well, we're here to talk about racing in Gomes, Switzerland. Uh, It's been a couple of weeks since that race. You know, like what sticks in your mind looking back at it? Um, So Gomes was, it was a new venue. Um, They have hosted World Juniors and U23 several years ago, Um, but we have not gone there on the World Cup. And so it was... uh, a little bit of like quite a few unknowns uh, for everybody, uh, but it it got rave reviews. Uh, it was super sunny. It was beautiful. The crowd certainly didn't disappoint. And then we had some great results as well. So I think the whole team is definitely looking forward to going back there. Um, 
yeah, it's always a little bit challenging with new venues. Sometimes everyone I think is a little skeptical <laughs> and uh, it, it was an awesome experience for everybody. So I, I was not physically there, but I, I did watch all of the races live just because um, I was still adjusted to European time and I was getting all of the, the notes and the, the heads up from all of our staff and a bunch of the athletes. So I nearly felt like I was there. <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad to hear that it did get good reviews because, you know, as a spectator, it looked like there were a lot of falls. It was technical corners. The track was pretty, you know, narrow. And I, I was curious what the athletes would have thought about all that. Yeah, you know, it's really, it's funny with World Cup venues and new ones. Everyone is paying attention to everything, the little details. Did did they kind of like meet the standards of all these different things? And it's pretty amazing how good weather really skews people's <laughs> <laughs> opinion of a World Cup venue. I mean, I think maybe it would have been a little bit different if it had been raining or if it was extremely cold, but it was sunny. And, you know, granted, a lot of the venues we've been to haven't been sunny this year, <laughs> especially in the first period when you're in Scandinavia in November yeah. and December. Um, and so it was like this huge relief for people to be able to sit out on the deck and get a bunch of sun. And then the other thing that really skews perspective too, it's the fans, if there are no fans there, people are kind of like, ah, you know, it's fine. But when there's really good fans, people get so hyped to go back. So I think from the athlete's perspective, it was pretty good. I I don't I, – I'm not sure that the courses had so much of a review other than the fact that, like, yes, they were quite challenging – but also the snow was super, super firm. I mean, you like watch some of the races and you don't really see much, much snow like flying off of the skis when they're pushing really hard, especially in a skate race. Um, and that thing was like concrete. <laughs> so um, so I think there were people were definitely nervous. There, there were some crashes on the training day that made people nervous about some of the downhills. But, you know, that's that's also pretty similar to a lot of venues. These courses are really hard and World Cup courses are are not not really for for beginners. There are huge uphills and very, very huge, fast ripping downhills with turns at the bottom. So um, people fall and, and that happens. So it, it wasn't anything crazy, crazy different than what a lot of them are used to. It's funny that you mentioned the weather because I would say that that is one of my takeaways from doing these race reports is that the athletes actually care about the weather. I think I would have thought, you know, they're, they're winter athletes. They're used to cold. They're used to gray and dark and all of that. But every single athlete has talked about being really happy when it's not 20 degrees below and, you know, when there is sun and stuff. Oh, yeah. It, it makes a huge difference. And like you also, the athletes, they spend so much time like in the hotel room or uh, at the yeah. race venue. And so a huge chunk of their time is either indoors or going for like a run or it's outside at the venue, um, you know, training and, and doing everything that they need to do for upcoming races. And so it's a massive chunk of their experience is what's happening, where the sun is, just for sake of like, happiness and experience but when you spend like 
you know, so many months in the dark, <laughs> you, you're really excited when you get just like a little glimpse of sun. I mean, it's, it's pretty evident, especially in the first period um, when we're in Scandinavia, when we get a sunny day because the sun doesn't rise until really late. If you get any ounce of sun at any point, everybody will be outside. (laughs) If, If they are in the hotel room, they will go outside just because you're, you're desperately looking for it. And it's been like so many weeks of not seeing it. So yeah, the weather on so many levels is very important in the athlete experience. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, well, I can relate to that. Uh, you mentioned the falls, and we had talked to Erin Bianco the week before, and she was talking about the scary technical turns and the descents, and she did end up falling in the relay. How was she feeling after that? And, you know, like, what was that like for her? I mean, I felt yeah. very bad for her. Oh, yeah, so did we. I mean, everybody was definitely, like, quite concerned about her and wanting to make sure that she was okay. Um, she was in a, in a crash, and when she stood up, um, yeah, just felt off and, and then ended up having a, a medical issue. So, unfortunately, like, been very smartly didn't finish the race. The rest of her team was just, like, concerned about her at that point. But it was it was a tough day and definitely, like, really felt for Erin. I think out of anybody, she was definitely like the most bummed um, with herself because she had the rest of the team waiting for her. But I think everybody agreed that that was the right call was to stop. Yeah. So um, she is doing well. She's here right now in Canmore and she qualified for her very first World Cup sprint the other day in a skate sprint. Um, and got to ski World Cup heats for the very first time. So she had a World Cup personal best, and and that was really, really exciting for the team. So she is doing well, and, and she's uh, she's chugging along, getting ready for the sprint tomorrow. Yeah. It seems like at Gomes, the racers were, you know, starting to feel the impact of all the previous racing from the beginning of the season, and maybe also are starting to feel... I don't know, nerves or anticipation of the North American races in Canmore and Minneapolis. What are your impressions about that? Yeah, I think my impression like two weeks ago would have been a little bit different than what it is now because um, we're actually in it now and experiencing some of the things we were anticipating. I do think in Gomes that a lot of the athletes were getting to that point where they were a little bit tired, but they also knew that they got to go home really, really soon. And so I I do think sometimes when you know that you're going to be able to see your family and be back in your home and your comfortable place, people start to, to get more anxious about it. And I, I do think that was happening a little bit with athletes just knowing that they were going to, number one, have a break, and number two, see some loved ones for the first time in for many, several months. And then I think everyone really enjoyed that that break and that downtime. But now now we're in Canmore and we're starting to get very, very close to Minneapolis. And there's a lot of there's a lot of families here. There's a lot of uh, just really big ski fans here from the US. But for the most part, like everybody here has some kind of that's watching has some kind of tie to one of these athletes. And they want to see them and they want to spend time with them. Um, there's a lot of Canadian fans that are here that have been 
uh, have mentioned that they were really excited to see the U.S. team. And they're wearing like U.S. hats and jackets and um, they're pretty big uh, cross-country ski fans. So we're, we're starting to see that like we, for the first time, have all the spectators on our side. And when our one of our athletes gets announced, there are huge roars and cheers and applause. And I think the athletes aren't are kind of shocked when they hear that because normally it's a little bit fainter because we just don't have that many people cheering for us when, when the names get announced. And then, you know, just walking back to the, the wax cabin or like having a little bit of downtime or when they're um, just, you know, taking a moment between intervals, like they're seeing people that they know. And that's super important as well. And of course you want to talk to them and stuff, but then there's also that balance you have to strike of focusing and trying to do your, do what you came here to do. And so I think it's going to be interesting to have so many people on our side and cheering for us, but then also so many faces that we know. And it's just going to be like this really cool event in Minneapolis where there's a lot of fast skiers. That, but it's also a ginormous like North American reunion. <laughs> and and uh, I think that's gonna be it's gonna be a crazy experience. And I can tell you like the the World Cup other the other World Cup teams, like athletes, coaches, techs, everybody is talking about Minneapolis. People are asking questions about it all the time and being like, we are so excited to experience this because we heard tickets were sold out in a really short amount of time and there's going to be so many thousand fans there and it's going to be like a, a party and people are psyched. So I think it's to get back to your question, it is a huge mixture of, I think some anxiety, some performance anxiety, some uh, just anticipation, but then also it's a, just a, a tremendous amount of excitement for this thing. It's going to be sweet. It is going to be sweet, but let me ask you about this balance that you talked about do you, as a team, talk about that? I mean, talk about having to stay focused and, you know, you could get overwhelmed by all the people and you could also get super excited. And I'm sure every athlete is going to be different in their reaction to that. Yeah, you know, we we haven't started talking about that as a team yet. We I was talking with the head coach, Matt Wickham, the other day, and I think we will end up talking about it because I think it – you know, obviously there's no denying like Jesse is a huge reason why this World Cup is coming in Minneapolis. And a lot of people want to see Jesse. A lot of people are going to want to see Rosie and Ben and these athletes that are having a lot of success. But I also I know for certain there are athletes that are going to have their World Cup debut for the very first time in Minneapolis, or maybe they had it in Canmore. And they're going to have a ton of fans there, family, friends, cheering them on as well. And I think, you know, they're going to be experiencing some very similar uh, feelings to Jesse, Rosie, Julia, these athletes that have been on the World Cup for a really long time, because they're also going to have quite a few fans there. And so I, I do think it's a conversation that we will end up having with a lot of the athletes that like, you know, you you made it here and we want you to experience all of this to the full extent but also we want you to ski really fast and show them why you're here and how you made it and and soak that up as well cuz nothing really beats you know your home venue racing extremely well and making world cup heats in front of 
all of the people that you love. That's a really special experience. So I think we will <laughs> end up having a conversation about it and with staff as well. Like the staff are, are going to be out there and, and seeing a bunch of their family that's um, supporting them. So yeah, it, it'll end up being a conversation for sure. Yeah. I mean, because some of the athletes are really nice people and they're going to have to be a little bit selfish and, you know, ma- making sure that they get the warm up they need and the focus that they need. And um, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But man, it's going to be, I'm so excited for all of them to just go warm up on the course before, you know, the sprint or the 10K and have all of those people there in the spectator area screaming their name. That's going to be the coolest experience. And it's just, it's going to be fun after the race to ask them what they thought of it. And, you know, if one side of their, uh, their hearing has been like blown out because all of the spectators are going to be on the right hand side. So like it was pretty funny, like Gus Schumacher, for example, Gomes had like great spectator attendance. And uh, he had said that he's like, I might, I might need to wear like earplugs tomorrow. (laughs) He's like, my, like my ear hurt after skiing through like some of the mobs of people we're like, you know, that's maybe not a bad idea for Minneapolis too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be very fun, and uh, everyone's going to be hearing really well on their left side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked about a year ago, almost exactly. And how has your role changed since that time? And maybe like, what are you what are you doing exactly when you're at the venues? Or you said this time at at Gomes, you were not physically there, but you're still working, obviously. Yeah. Um, a lot of my job is, is the same. Um, there's been a few changes since last year. I, well, first of all, I'm no longer in grad school. And so I I finished that. And (laughs) so I'm not trying to balance (laughs) both of those things anymore. Thank goodness. It has seriously opened up, uh, more time for me to take on a few other things. Um, and so, um, and I'm definitely able to strike a little bit more of a balance in my life now. Um, but beyond that, uh, I ended up working a little bit closer with um, another athlete on the team, helping him write his plan. And um, he's uh, his Gus Schumacher. He he's very good at writing his own plan, and he's like very much a student of the sport and is uh, very dedicated to trying to get better, just like many of the athletes. Um, and so I helped him a little bit more, just generate. A different kind of structure and and make some changes in his training this year so that's been super fun um i'm still working with julia and so we're we're always talking and and collaborating and stuff um so that's been very fun as well and then we have a larger d team this year so we have um nine athletes and so uh several of them if not yeah almost all of the d team athletes have been on the World Cup or will be on the World Cup at Minneapolis. And so I've been able to see a lot more of them this year, which has been super fun. Otherwise, the day-to-day stuff at the venue, I'm I'm doing all the same stuff. Um, race day, working on poles, doing logistics, um, helping the techs out, doing a lot of glide outs, helping athletes implement what's on their plan that they've generated with their coaches back at home. So it, it is a lot of the same. It's just uh, the difference I think this time is I'm a lot more comfortable and and confident in, in what I'm doing. And we're going to a lot of venues that we were at last year. So I know 
I know these places now and I'm not showing up and having to relearn, you know, where the race office is and, you know, where's the Fist family room where we get lunch and um, learning all of the courses. So that's made it a little bit more comfortable, I guess. We also spoke about the Trail to Gold Women Coaches Fellowship, and you spoke very glowingly about that. And I was wondering if you're still feeling that way and what is the situation now for women coaches and also, uh, I guess, women techs. We talked about women techs as well. Yeah, um, I still think very highly of the program. I'm a huge fan. I'm always really grateful that we get to have these women rotating through every two weeks. And part of that is because like the experience that I had when I came over and had like a two week stint a couple years ago was a really great one. And I want people to experience that, but also selfishly, I, (laughs) I get to room with these women and get to know new people and like make new friends in the U S ski scene. And also just like hear about what they have going on at their club, how they're doing things differently and just kind of like soak up a little bit more and have that connection back to domestic racing that we don't always get to see because we're overseas all the time. So it's been going really well this year. We have um, added more trail to gold spots. So last year we had four, four trail to gold women come throughout the season. Plus a fifth woman uh, came because of the women's sports foundation grant this year. We have eight women coming. Oh, that's great. Um, And so there has, Yeah, it's been awesome. And so there has been sometimes overlap between two of them at once. And that's insanely fun because then they like also feed off of each other and the excitement of not, you know, not being here before and not knowing, you know, what's going on all the time. They kind of like very frequently will work together and it's always a power duo. Like they crush it and they do really awesome. It's just fun for me to watch and, and be part of. So the Trail of the Gold program is awesome. I know for sure it is making a difference. Um, like a year ago, obviously, like we didn't know exactly what the outcome would be because we were in the midst of it. But I know several of the women that were on the Trail of the Gold last year or with the Women's Sports Foundation ended up getting jobs, uh, head coaching positions that I, I think having the Trail to Gold and World Cup experience on their resume played a huge role in helping them get that job because they had that experience compared to maybe other people that had applied. So like Sam Bending, for example, she became the head coach at Harvard. She's, She's a younger coach and she got this head coach position. And, you know, that I think is, you know, that speaks volumes. And granted, it's it's not all a trail to gold. It's not all the World Cup experience that got her that job. But I think that experience helped elevate her resume, maybe like, you know, five, 10 percent. So that's super cool to see. We know that it's working. And then we also know that they're bringing back those experiences back to their clubs, um, maybe, you know, making some taking the things that they learned and and applying it towards their clubs and their teams that they work with on a daily basis. But the other cool thing is we also had some of the Trail of Gold people from last year. They came back this year and the team is so psyched to see them again. I mean, they're, they're here for two weeks at a time, but they have a tremendous impact. You could have that in two weeks. You can create that with the athletes and with the staff. And then you come back and you're part of this family. And so it, 
it's cool for me to see the the impact it has had with with the staff with our team but also for them like it's so cool to know that these women want to come back and that they had a really good experience that's like music to my ears <laughs> and i i'm so 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 glad that our team is really bought into to this whole experience i'm super proud of everybody and um yeah really grateful to be working for a, a team that's open and trying to to push something that's really important to me and that the world needs <laughs> so it's cool. We're we're filling these bibs every single weekend, and it, we're the only team. But go for it. No, I was just gonna say it's very encouraging to see what can be done with, you know, not a ton of effort, but some thought. Exactly, and and just like a little bit of buy-in, like <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's pretty amazing how when our staff and these athletes they know that a new person is coming they're so welcoming and they're like, Oh yeah, of course. Like, yeah, there's a, a new woman coach coming or a coach from last year. Like, of course they're, you know, we're going to make them feel like they're part of this team and make sure that they have this good experience. And like, there's no better word than like, I'm so proud of, of everybody for, for creating that. That's so special. And then, I think that it's speaking volumes to a lot of the other teams on the World Cup. Like we're quite literally the only team that is filling our bibs every single weekend, both women's bibs. Um, still, still. You, you, wow. Because you said that last year, I thought everybody would sort of see what you're doing and follow suit. Oh man, <laughs> I thought so too. Like I thought we would return this year, and people would, and other teams would have been like, "Yeah, this see the value in it," and. Um, you know, because other teams were definitely like filling, you know, maybe one, two bibs per weekend last year. And we were seeing that happen. It's like, okay, this thing is growing. People are seeing that this is really important. And yeah, unfortunately it, it, it didn't stick. Like it didn't convince people to, to hire more women. Unfortunately, we did see one team hired a woman tech. Um, her name is Anna Seabacher. She is a tech for Austria. So she's been around the whole season, um, and they did not fill their bibs last year. So that's pretty cool. Norway is filling one. Sweden fills one. Uh, Germany occasionally fills both, depending on the venue. Off the top of my head, that's about it. Uh, Canada mm. also fills. Canada has one woman as well that's usually on the, on the World Cup circuit. So yeah, it's it's still really sparse. Hmm. Well, yeah, yes. But yeah, I I hope my well, fingers crossed like next year it it grows a little bit more even if it's just by one or two. Yeah. But yeah, I was surprised. I I thought maybe it would have been quite a bit more than what I just listed off. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you so much. This has been really fantastic and I always appreciate talking to you. Oh man, yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been, uh, it's always fun to talk about this stuff. Once again, another wonderful race report with a woman from the U.S. cross-country ski team. This time we talked to a coach for a different view of things. Thank you, Kristen, for finding time very early in the morning to talk to Hear Her Sports. It was so fun. We'd love to have you back anytime. 
Thank you everyone for listening. Be sure to check out all the other race reports because they're just so good. We've been getting the chance to meet U.S. athletes like Sophia Lockley, Jesse Diggins, and Novi McCabe, just to name a few. Listeners have sent me such positive responses. I'd love to hear what you think, too. Email elizabeth at hearhersports.com. Stories like these keep fans interested and knowledgeable and ready to watch big events, knowing what's going on and who the characters are. Tell your friends about the race reports so they can be ready and excited about the Minnesota World Cup coming to Minneapolis on February 17th and 18th. Or just tell your friends because the U.S. skiers are so awesome. Go to hearhersports.com to contact me, sign up for the newsletter, listen to all the episodes, and support the show through Bookshop, Naboso, and through Buy Me a Coffee. If you are new to Hear Her Sports, welcome, and I hope you take a look at some of the other terrific episodes. There are lots of skiers, cyclists, runners, along with athletes from other sports you may not know much about. Every guest has so much to offer. I hope to see you in Minneapolis. Be sure to let me know that you'll be there. And until then, bye-bye. We want to start over. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, This is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!